It's TechBiter Worldwide for Election Week, the week of November 4th, 2007. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. We don't leave out the updates, though. Does it seem to you that updates have gotten out of control? Here's an example. I use Pigeon for instant messaging. Well, recently it notified me that there was a new version available and asked if I wanted to download it. Well, of course I did. So I clicked the appropriate link and Firefox tried to open. Tried. There was a message from Firefox about an update for one of its add-ins. So I had to let that happen first. But then Firefox noticed that it was due for an update, which required another download and required closing Firefox. Well, finally, I reached the Pigeon site, downloaded the update, and installed it. Then I started my email program, the Bat. It notified me that it had been updated and it needed to download the latest version. While that was happening, the Windows Update notifier let me know that Windows wanted to download and install some new files. And before that process finished, a tray pop-up from Adobe reminded me that there were tens of megabytes of downloads for Creative Suite 3. And, of course, some of those changes required restarting the computer. So before I could even start working on whatever it was I had planned to do that day, I had to deal with more than 20 minutes worth of updates. And that's with a pretty fast connection on dial-up. That process would have taken hours. Now, this isn't really a complaint. Well, it is, but it isn't. It's not that I dislike the updates. They're part of what we have to do. Security flaws are found. Those have to be fixed. You find bugs. They need to be identified and fixed. Developers add some minor features from time to time, or they fix some of the major features that were broken in the current release. And particularly in the case of open source software, minor step upgrades happen every few weeks, and in some cases every few days. Now I could avoid some of the interruptions by allowing the Windows Update service to modify the operating system on its own whenever it wants to. That would probably be safe, but I still like to know what Microsoft plans to install because even a monitored update service can go off the rails. When it does that, it might install old drivers in place of new drivers and thereby turn your computer into a smoldering pile of rubble. Been there, done that. Over the years, several organizations have attempted to establish some sort of uniform omnibus update service that every software vendor would send its updates to for distribution to users. There is inescapable logic there, but despite that, there are concerns, some real and some imagined, about security. But probably the bigger concern is a corporate political concern. Does anyone in his right mind really believe that Microsoft, Adobe, Corel, and the others will cede control of their own update procedures to some third party? And then there, of course, are the thousands of other organizations that write applications for just the Windows platform. What about Mac? Who would be liable for what and to whom in the event of a malfunction, and who would pay for all this? 
For example, a Windows update could break a Corel application. If that happens, who's responsible for fixing it? Corel? Microsoft? The third-party provider of the updates, perhaps. Uh, the vendors, I think, would probably have to grow third hands to have enough fingers to go around to point at each other, while a responsibility for fixing the problem would fall where it always does, to you. If somebody ever develops a third-party upgrade service that works, I'm in. Who's the likely candidate, do you think? Well, in my world, it would be the vendor of the operating system. All applications would check with the operating system's update service when an update is available. It would be the operating system's responsibility to verify the credentials of the update. It would be the operating system's responsibility to download the update. It would be the operating system's responsibility to show the user a list of updates downloaded within the past whatever number of hours, and that should be selectable by the user. It would be responsible for asking the user which updates to install and when. And most important, it would be responsible for coordinating the installation of the updates so that they don't get in each other's way and so that they don't break things. Now, what I've just described is very close to the procedure that Ubuntu Linux uses. No, I'm not really expecting any operating system to handle all of the updates anytime soon. But if somebody ever does invent one, I've got the name waiting. Nirvana. Remember a few weeks ago I had some nice things to say, some really nice things to say, about a Seagate free agent disk drive I had purchased. I liked the looks of the drive. I liked the packaging. I liked the elimination of complicated instructions. Well, my opinion of those things hasn't changed. But I would like the drive a lot more if it was reliable. Over the past 20-some years, I have come to consider Seagate disk drives the most reliable consumer drives on the market. When Seagate acquired MacStore, I was a little worried. I wondered if the acquisition would bring MacStore's quality up or drag Seagate's quality down. I think I have the answer, and unfortunately it's not the answer we wanted. Until now, I've never had a Seagate drive with a reliability problem. Now, it's true that the Seagate drive in my desktop was replaced just a few weeks ago. I mentioned that. As it was replaced as part of a troubleshooting effort to find out what was causing the system to crash. Based on later findings, I think the drive was actually all right. The free agent drive, however, has been unreliable almost from the first day. The drive's sole purpose in life is to maintain a copy of my current working files. I use Microsoft's Sync toy to duplicate specific directories on the desktop computer to the free agent drive. It's a really easy procedure. Sync toy retains information about the files on the desktop and files on the free agent. When I run Sync toy, it copies any new or changed files from the desktop to the external drive. That's about as simple as things can get. Sometimes, though, the copy process breaks down. Recently, SyncToy told me it was going to copy more than 2,000 new and changed files to the free agent drive. About 1,000 files in, it started throwing errors because it could no longer write files to the drive. The drive wasn't full, not even close. But SyncToy couldn't write files to it. Okay, might be a problem with SyncToy. So I tried dragging the files from the desktop to FreeAgent using the Windows Explorer. That didn't work either. 
Over the course of a week or so, I tried Robocopy, which is Microsoft's robust copy utility, available for Windows XP and included automatically with Windows Vista. Same results there. I then downloaded a trial version of Scooter Software's Beyond Compare. Same thing. So I concluded that I had a bad drive. All right, that happens. Anybody can ship a bad drive once in a while. So I contacted Seagate's support, described the problem. Two days later, I got a response that said I was using third-party software, and Seagate doesn't support third-party software on its free agent drives. Now, I may not have mentioned this, but the free agent drives come with no software of any kind. So your options are the operating system, and I would consider an application like SyncToy to be part of the operating system, or a true third-party application, such as Scooter Software's Beyond Compare. But you'd have to use something to copy the files, because the drive didn't come with any software. I pointed that out in my reply, and mentioned that Microsoft SyncToy is hardly a third-party application. But I was willing to concede those points. I asked if Seagate also considered dragging and dropping copies using the Microsoft Windows Explorer, part of the operating system, to be a third-party application. There was no response to that question. Instead, Seagate support came back to say that they're sorry that I will not be able to make a mirror image, and they suggest that I make an image backup. Somebody at Seagate support has a really vivid imagination. I had not mentioned a mirror backup. In fact, that's not what I was doing. I was copying individual files, not mirroring. Mirroring involves making sure that files on two computers match. It's not what I was trying to do. Additionally, creating an image backup of the drive would require third-party software, and the support guy had previously told me that Seagate doesn't support that, which, of course, is nonsense. So, what I had was a free agent disk drive that cannot be used as a disk drive. Instead, it was a highly reliable, somewhat overpriced paperweight. I have to be fair to Seagate support. I should mention that Robocopy does indeed have a mirror function. And, at one point, I had attempted to use it. But it failed in exactly the same way that every other copy process had failed on that drive. And to be fair to me, Seagate support should have noticed that I mentioned using the Windows Explorer to try to drag and drop files, and that that also failed. That has nothing at all to do with mirroring. The fact that Robocopy, Drag and Drop, SyncToy, and Beyond Compare all work flawlessly when copying to older Seagate external USB hard drives might have suggested something to support, but... Apparently it didn't. So in an attempt to move the process forward and maybe finalize the project before the end of the five-year warranty, I wrote to Seagate and said, all I want to do is copy some files from another drive to this one. That doesn't seem to be too much to ask. That is the core reason for having a disk drive, to copy files onto it. The failure occurs whether I use copy, the antique DOS-based command, the Windows Explorer, Microsoft's SyncToy, or any other application. To me, this says one thing loud and clear. The disk drive is failing and should be replaced. Please consider this my request for an RMA. So now you think I got an RMA, right? Uh, wrong. Seagate support suggested that I download C-Tools for Windows and run the short 
generic test and the long generic test, and I should check to see whether it is giving me any error message. Well, of course, I did that knowing it would be a waste of time. Both of them, of course, failed. I reported that information back to Seagate support, complete with screen captures showing the failure. The response was still not an RMA, but a suggestion that I call a telephone number and initiate a discussion with their warranty support team. When I called the number, I was directed right back to the website as the preferred method of contact. But the website was having a problem, so I picked up the phone and called again. I then navigated down through several layers of the menu and found out that the warranty center is open only from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Friday. Back to the website. Success. I have now packed up the drive and shipped it off at my expense, of course, to Seagate in Texas. Seagate says they'll ship me a new drive when they receive the old one. I found it interesting that through the entire process, I was never asked what was wrong with the drive. And I was specifically and explicitly instructed not to include any information with the drive. Now, that seems odd. I would think that Seagate would want to know what was wrong with the drive. Not that they're going to repair it. Given the price of these drives, I'm sure they just junk any that have failed. But it would seem that they would want to know how the drives fail because that might pinpoint problems in manufacturing. Is it just me? If it, you know, just one drive fails out of millions that Seagate ships, that's no big deal. I just happen to have gotten the lemon. Unfortunately, that's not the case. If you go to Google and do a search that includes the words Seagate, free agent, and fail, you're going to find a lot of people talking about this drive and what they're saying in general isn't good. I'm hoping that Seagate's quality control simply went awry on these particular drives and that by now they have things under control again. Any company can make a mistake. I'm hoping that's what this was. After all, when I upgraded the hard drive in my notebook computer toward the end of October, I still specified Seagate. Earlier, I mentioned that this is election week. A few years ago, I was summoned to be a juror with the Franklin County Municipal Court System, and I was impressed by the people who run that system. They were passionate about having jurors available as required by law, even though something like 99% of all municipal court cases are settled without going to trial. This year, I volunteered to be a poll worker, and on Tuesday, I'll be a presiding judge, which means that I am, in effect, the manager of five other judges at one of the county's 750 precincts. So a week ago, I attended a four-hour mandatory training session. The Board of Elections official who conducted the class is passionate about ensuring that every qualified voter gets to vote. I learned about voting machines, about real-time audit logs, those are the paper tapes, and about the triple checks that are there to assure accuracy at the precinct level. On election day, I'll be one of probably about 4,500 poll workers in Franklin County. Here's how I got that number. Each precinct has six judges who maintain the voting logs, monitor the voting machines, and determine whether a prospective voter is in the right precinct, and if so, whether that person should be treated as a regular voter and be allowed to use the machine, or a provisional voter and vote on paper. Now, Franklin County is just one of Ohio's 88 counties. Ohio is just one of the nation's 50 states. As one of the largest and most populous counties in the state, Franklin has more poll workers than average, that's certain. But let's say the average county has just one-tenth 
as many poll workers as we have in Franklin County. And let's say the average state has just 20 counties. Do the math on that, and you get 4.5 million people working in polls. The manual that I've been reading covers my responsibilities in 31 pages, the machine judge's responsibilities in 38 pages, the roster judge's responsibility in 27 pages, and the process used for provisional voters, 13 pages plus a four-page insert. Now, if you think I find this overwhelming, you are absolutely right, but it's also pretty encouraging. Election officials and poll workers, whether Republicans, Democrats, or independents, and yes, independents can work as poll workers. They just can't be a presiding judge. All of these folks seem to be very serious about ensuring that elections are fair and accurate. Now, I may still have concerns about the software that runs the machines, and I may have some questions about the tabulating machines at county boards of election and at the Secretary of State's office. But the procedures in place to safeguard the voting machines and the results before, during, and after the election are most impressive. When you go to vote, look around. In nerdly news, Intego, a company that develops and sells desktop internet security and privacy software for Macs, is warning of a new threat, unlike most threats, that is targeting Macs. According to the company, a malicious Trojan horse has been found on several pornography websites. The Trojan claims to install a video codec required to view the videos. But instead of installing a new codec, the website actually installs applications designed to steal information from your Mac. The websites in question display a message when the user clicks on a still image to start the video. The message says, QuickTime player is unable to play movie. Please click here to download new version of codec. Installing the Trojan requires the administrator password, and that gives the rogue application full root privileges. In some ways, OS X is a lot more secure than most versions of Windows, but all that security goes out the window. It's defeated easily with a little social engineering. The Trojan changes the Mac's default DNS server so that web requests to certain well-known websites will be routed to phishing sites. Yep, that's right. Even typing the correct web address won't protect the user because the request is intercepted and rerouted. Users of OS X version 10.4 and earlier have no way to see the changes made to the DNS server address, at least not in the graphical user interface. Under version 10.5, the change can be seen, but the modification can't be easily removed by the user. Worse yet, the Trojan installs a cron job that checks every 60 seconds to make sure its DNS entries are still valid. Nice. Intego says its virus barrier X4 with definitions dated October 31, 2007 and later will eliminate the malicious code if it's present on your machine and will keep the Trojan from being installed. Intego also recommends that users never download and install software from untrusted sources or questionable websites. Good advice. Are you one of those folks who doesn't like Microsoft? You say you want a computer that doesn't have any Microsoft applications, but you're too cheap to buy an Apple, and you're not nerdy enough to roll your own Linux machine, even with Ubuntu. What if somebody made a computer that ran a version of Linux, came with OpenOffice already set up for you, and was optimized to work with Google's online applications? And what if it costs just 200 bucks? Uh, truth in advertising here. Plan on spending at least 350 to $400, because you're going to need some extras. A monitor, for one. 
and the thing comes at 200 bucks with way too little memory. It's an Everex GPC TC2502. This is a machine that's run by a fairly wimpy 1.5 gigahertz VIA processor, not Intel, VIA, and it has just half a gigabyte of memory. That's not enough. It comes with an 80 gigabyte hard drive. That's probably adequate if you don't plan to work much with photographs or videos, and if you're buying a machine like that, you probably don't have plans to do that anyway. Instead of Windows, the machine runs GOS, G-O-S, a version of Linux designed to depend on Gmail and Google Documents. And as I mentioned, there's also a copy of OpenOffice, which is free and can open most files from Microsoft Office. Instead of doing most of the processing on the PC, the goal, with a GOS-powered machine, is to move the processing to the Internet. Thirty years ago, we used dumb terminals that were connected to servers. PCs, because they distributed the workload, were new and revolutionary. Now, moving away from distributed processing and back to centralized processing is being seen as new. <laughs> How very last century. Oh, the GPC comes with a mouse and a keyboard, but, as I said, no monitor. That's it. Thanks for listening. This has been TechBinder Worldwide for the week of November 4th, 2007. Go vote this week. I'm Bill Blint. Check out the website www.techbiter.com and you can send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.